This is Dead Stick Radio, Episode 8, recorded Sunday, November 24th, 2019. The truth about electric airplanes. This episode of Dead Stick Radio is brought to you by AirRaceGear.com, the place for air race merchandise. Today, we're going to talk about uh, clearing the air with the Electric Falcon project and the conversion of Race 9 Outlaw to electric. So the I might as well give some background on this so everybody gets some good uh, relevance behind what we're doing. Um, about uh, two a year and a half ago now or so, uh, actually, let's back up even farther. Five years ago, I had some friends up in Edmonton that I learned to fly with that have been uh, I've been kind of hanging out with up here, and they were uh, recruited to go work down in California on electric vehicles. Uh, so they went down there and they started working there, no problem. Hadn't seen them much. Uh, I started racing at Reno in 2016, 2018 or so. Uh, I brought a couple of them in as, as just guests to come have a look at it. And in exchange, they gave us factory tours of what they were working on. Uh, it was really fun, actually. And so they got to see race planes. We got to see electric vehicles. It was a good time. Learned a lot doing that kind of thing. Uh, and we said, well, like, it'd be kind of cool to convert one of these things to, to electric. And at the exact same time, Jeff Saltman from uh, Air Race One, he's the CEO, had the same idea. So within a couple months of, of us kind of having that conversation, he announced Air Race E, which is a electric uh, conversion for Formula One racers. And we were like, well, we've got the racing experience and we've got the electric vehicle people experience. Why don't we just combine the two and do it? So we did. So we started it. And it was uh, just me and, and one other uh, one other of my friends at the time. Uh, and so we started really small, just kind of thinking about it, looking for motors, that kind of thing. And, and, uh, so she started, uh, um, building a team. And so she started telling her friends about what they were doing. And so this, this group started growing and growing and growing. And soon we had this like big group working on this old electric motor and tons of, uh, of momentum on this thing, making design decisions every day. And, uh, so here we are about a year later and we've learned a lot. So you have a working engine now. Yeah, so they're actually called motors. It's not an engine. <laughs> so how these systems work are basically you have the propeller in the front, which is then driven by a electric motor. And then that electric motor is powered by an inverter. So we're running AC current. And then behind that, the inverter is powered by batteries. So it's a fairly simple system. And the only thing with moving parts is the motor and the propeller. And technically there's only one moving part. Gotcha. So why do you use a AC motor versus a DC motor? What's the, what's the difference between those two? It's a control thing. So you can control it a lot better. Um, also you can make very, very high power density motors. The hard part about building an electric airplane is it's all about, uh, how much power can you make for lightweight? So the, the big problem is right now is batteries do not have the energy density, the amount of power available that gasoline does. So electric vehicles tend to be pigs very heavy and you can't take them very far because the batteries don't have the power available where gas you can go much farther like a factor of 10 difference yeah within with a gas powered engine you are shedding weight as you go so you can take off fairly heavy and then you get lighter as you go but with an electric airplane that's right. you're the same weight all the way through exactly which has advantages and disadvantages one of the big uh disad well the advantages i guess with electric is if you put a fuel tank in say the tail for weight and balance reasons center of gravity reasons over time the tank empties and so you could be in a good center of gravity position on takeoff and end up way out of the limits the stability limits on landing 
So there's a lot of complexities to think about with this whole fuel concept with it discharging uh, in flight. Whereas with batteries, when they discharge, they stay the same weight. And I've noticed that with my plane, for example, my plane, uh, the center of gravity is further back for the for the fuel tank. Uh, so as I lose fuel, my, my center of gravity slowly moves forward and I can actually come uh, and, and be outside of center of gravity, uh, outside of uh, weight and balance if I'm uh, at zero fuel. Yeah, that's right. So let's um let, let's talk about each component in a bit of detail here. Uh, I'm no I'm no expert yet at all. We've, I've never actually flown an electric vehicle, um, but I have learned a lot from the design that we've put into it to date. And we're only doing it for fun anyway. So it's just a, it's just a research project at the end of the day. So let's start with the propeller. Gotcha. So my big question about propellers is uh, you have um, on a regular airplane with a fixed pitch propeller, uh, you're only putting out so much horsepower. But with an electric engine, you seem to be putting out a lot more power. Uh, what are you doing about things like prop stall, uh, basically cavitation behind the propeller, because you're putting so much torque through that propeller that you wouldn't be able to get through an electric or through a, a gas powered engine? Yeah, you can. So with with a gas powered engine, when you apply throttle, in the, in the cockpit by pushing the throttle forward or the cable or whatever. All you're doing is you're adding fuel to the carburetor or the injection system or whatever. And it takes the engine some time to build RPM and torque. Whereas with electric motor, when you apply that throttle change uh, to go from zero to say full power, it's basically a step change in torque. Instant torque, instant. So it's a very interesting scenario that we're gonna learn a lot on when we can actually apply that much torque. Yeah, and you, you can feel that uh, when you're riding, riding in a Tesla, for example. You sit at a, at a Tesla at a stoplight, right. stop you put that thing in ludicrous mode, and you stomp on that gas pedal or, or do a, a launch control on it, and it physically hurts as you launch forward. That's a, kind of the best That's way right. I can describe feeling that torque. Exactly. So the same thing will happen with airplanes, except instead of going straight to the wheels, it goes to the prop. So you'll be making a lot of thrust but it won't be so much thrust like you get in your Tesla where it'll be a kick, like a 1G kick in your seat. So it'll be a little bit different in this situation. So the propellers will probably, you could do fixed pitch or constant speed or whatever. It just has to be electric because you don't have that oil pressure running up the, the center of the crankshaft, uh, like most uh, internal combustion en uh, engines have to power the constant speed props. So now for IF1 in the rules, do they, uh, you mentioned you can have either, either either kind of prop. In the actual rules for IF1, well, I guess electric uh, electric racing, do they allow you to have a constant speed prop or is it fixed pitch again, just like they are in IF1? So in normal IF1 racing, it has to be fixed pitch. I don't think that the, the rules are set or I don't think that a rule exists yet for what you can do with the electric series. So it'll be, uh, it'll be very interesting. It depends how people kind of develop their, their projects. So I think a lot of the rules coming out of ARAC right now are experimental as well and subject to change depending on what we find as we develop. Uh, so it's very experimental with the propellers right now. So what's your plan with the propeller then? Are you planning a constant speed or are you planning a fixed pitch? No, we have a plan. I'll leave it at that. We <laughs> <laughs> have a plan. So uh, after that, we have the motor. And for motors, typically we run very high, ax uh, high power density axial flux motors. So Yasa is a big manufacturer of those. Uh, that's, a, that's a fairly common one. Um, they're basically like a disc. And they come in different sizes and they, they can run at different RPMs and different torque settings and different power outputs and so on. You basically just go into the brochure and you pick one. After that, we so then have how, the... So how, how exactly does the motor actually build? So a lot of us uh, that have seen electric motors, we see them where they get, you know, you get little um, uh, brushes on them. Those are brush DC motors and whatnot with windings on, uh, on, uh, on what are the... Um, 
chunks of metal that are, are effectively connected uh, with magnets. The magnets on the on either the outside or the inside yep. with then your your stator inside there. So how exactly is your motor constructed? Well, ours is uh, it, it's also permanent magnet. Um, just like most of them are for the really high power densities, and they're pretty strong magnets too. Yeah, and they so tend we have to, be to be really careful. And they tend to be a little bit lighter than the than the. Non. That's right. Uh, the other problem too is if say you drop a screw in in one of the vent holes, it sticks to the magnet and you can't get it out. So your motor's toast. So there's a lot of design challenges using these motors and how to work around them and how to work safely around them with airplanes. Um, there's not a whole lot more I can say about the motor right now, um, but I know Air Race E is intending a 150 kilowatt limit. I don't know how to police that or enforce that yet, but that's what they're asking. Gotcha. Now, do we know anything about uh, how they're anticipating dealing with this? Is it, uh, are they anticipating having some kind of log at the end where they verify it and then apply, no or are they actually policing it as you fly? I don't think they've thought about it yet, to be honest. Okay. I know we have, yeah. <laughs> but I don't think anybody else has. So uh, that's, that's a big question mark right now is how to police horsepower. Because I know with um, normal internal combustion engines, they don't police it at all. Because in O200, you can only get so much. They police the, the horsepower simply by looking at your cam profile. And, and displacement. And exactly. Yeah. And they, they do all those tech checks. Whereas with an electric motor, because it's all electronic, it's way easier to cheat. Yeah, you could you could very easily take a motor and and electronically limit it down to your certain wattage, and then just like Volkswagen did with their cars, suddenly exactly. someone's no longer sitting in there. Or as soon as the, I think it was as soon as the steering wheel got touched, uh, it would deactivate the the uh, environmental exactly. controls. So you can effectively do the same thing with an electric airplane uh, if you were being unscrupulous. Right. So I don't know how that's going to work yet. It's definitely a big question mark. But so that's what we're designing for at least. After that, we have the inverter. To me, that's a black box. I have no idea how it works inside. And there's there's people on our team that really know them really well. They've built their own inverters. Um, so I don't know a whole lot about it other than it switches current from DC to AC. And then it selects the, um, the frequency and the voltage and so on based on what power output you're looking for. And so that all that kind of thing's way above my head. Uh, all I know is a lot of the, the outputs from that inverter will be going to the cockpit for monitoring. Gotcha. So now with that inverter there, is it all kind of off the shelf stuff or are they building it completely custom on, on your plane? So that's, I can't say a whole lot about that right now. Um, but I can say that for those out there that want to build their own electric vehicle from scratch, the quickest way to do it is take off the shelf components and stick them together because everybody does that. Everybody knows how to do that. And these systems are very well tested and engineered. Whereas if you start from scratch, it's a lot more work. Yeah, I can imagine. Now, between the propeller and the motor, so uh, standard uh, aircraft propellers uh, in, in your typical engine will run, what, about 20, 2,500 RPM, somewhere in that kind of range. Uh, how about, uh, about yours? Like I know uh, Rotax, for example, Rotax runs at uh, almost double the RPM or a little bit more than double, I can't remember, um, the RPM. Is that an issue you got to deal with it with the electric engine is the electric engine going to be running higher rpm lower rpm do you need a gearbox or are you just direct driving it well electric motors don't have valves that float so you can run them much higher the problem though is it's very hard to get a propeller to last that high so that's a that's a big design challenge with going electric is how to how to do that kind of thing um so i think most people are running in the 2700 rpm range from what i understand with electric motors and a lot of motors are are um, set up to be optimized at that range uh, if you spin propellers too fast, the tips go supersonic right away, uh, and then they stop producing thrust. They produce a lot of drag and noise. So a lot of motors are, are intended to be direct drive onto a normal propeller, which is at least what we're seeing with like Siemens and companies like that. 
So it, um, I don't know. Well, so I know what we're going to run for RPM. Uh, I just can't say yet. <laughs> gotcha. gotcha. So the, the inverter will basically switch to that RPM um, to give the motor uh, in-phase power, basically. And then it outputs what it's doing back to the cockpit. Now, uh, in terms of actually getting that torque from the propeller on a typical, like an O200 engine or typical aircraft engine, you have your engine mount, which is effectively taking all that, that, that load and the, the propeller just effectively is pushing or pulling on the, on the physical engine, which is then mounted to the plane. Yep. Are you doing the same thing with the yep. electric engine or are you applying a separate system like a helicopter might use? Yeah. So the torque and the thrust loads go through bearings in the motor. Uh, from the bearings, they get transferred into the motor itself. And from the motor, it then goes into the motor mount, which is gonna look kind of funny. And from the motor mount, it goes into the bolts that used to bolt the internal combustion engine mount into the airplane. So from that perspective, it's very conventional. Gotcha. Are we gonna get interrupted by these guys? Yep. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely picking up on that. Well, why don't we just let her roll then and we understand every, so for everybody online, uh, we're at an airport and we're recording this thing from an airport on purpose because airports are cool. What comes with being at the airport is propeller noise, and there's a Cessna running right outside our window. Yep, little 172 Skyhawk. That's right. So when we switch to electric, that noise will go away. For now, it's still here. Well, there'll still be probably some noise, just like we see with the, the Harvards. The biggest, the biggest noise from a Harvard is its propeller moving around, not the engine. Yeah, oh, very much that will be the case, but uh, at least at idle and so on, you're not going to hear anything. One of the coolest things you can do with an electric motor, actually, is, is spin it backwards full power. So right now, propellers have to go to beta because internal combustion engines can only turn one direction. Uh, so the propeller blades have to switch direction, which makes it a really complicated structural and mechanical system. Whereas with electric motors, you can just stop the propeller in flight and then turn it backwards, full throttle backwards, both directions. It's not quite as efficient as running forward, but you don't need it to be as efficient. Well, yeah. it can be a brake or it can be a regen. So yeah. if you're, say, descending from 10,000 feet, just regenerate all the way down. That's true. It's like That's a big true. air brake. True. And you can recover some of that energy that you put into it. Not a lot, but some of it. Gotcha. So it's just a it's just a cool feature. When it's not actually practical or anything, but you can. Gotcha. Yeah. So there'll be a lot of interesting um, features in this and capabilities in the electric airplane that we cannot see in gas-powered airplanes right now. You can't regenerate fuel right now. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. that that's kind of a from a technical nutshell. That's kind of all there is. The system's really simple. It's like done on purpose. Yeah. Um, from the powertrain perspective, that's it. Then we get into the batteries, which is a whole other conversation. So most people today use lithium batteries, uh, lithium-based batteries, because of their power density. And by power density, I mean how much energy can they hold, uh, or energy density is the correct term, not power. Uh, how much energy can they hold per pound of mass? Uh, so these, these lithium batteries are not what I'd call efficient yet. They also hold so much power that they uh, they can actually detonate if they get shorted, yeah, or just catch on fire. And so what I my and I haven't actually played around a whole bunch with this. There's other people that have is uh, I think lithium polymer batteries more uh, combust. They start uh, throwing flame, whereas lithium ion batteries tend to detonate or explode with a lot more energy quickly. Uh, so you have to pick a battery knowing what can happen, and and then you also have to design against it. So one of the things that, or one of the, the design requirements I have as a pilot is the system, the battery system has to be at minimum as safe as the gas tank in the airplane today. So if we say crash an airplane right now, there's always the risk that the gas tank can detonate. 
So uh, with the, the batteries, that risk will remain and it needs to be, and the consequence of that needs to be at or lower than the gas tank. Uh, so to do that, you modularize. So you take these cells and there's basically pouches or canisters. The canisters are like a, like a stainless steel medicine uh, tube. Um, and the, the pouches are basically a plastic bag with the battery in it. And uh, you basically pick one that you want. They they both have advantages and disadvantages. So that'd be and like modularize an, it. an eighteen six fifty or a twenty eight hundred versus uh, like a little cell phone battery. Type yeah, it looks thing. like a little D cell kind of, uh, except it's lithium and it holds a lot more power. Um, so when these things, if we crash and these things get damaged, they can thermal run away. And when they run away, they basically get hotter and hotter and hotter, and there's nothing you can do about it until it starts on fire. And then it emits a lot of gas in a short time frame. And then that gas also ignites, so it throws flame, like pretty good flame. I'm talking three, four foot long flames out the side of the battery. Yeah, and I've seen I've seen a video of that. Uh, there yep. was a Tesla that uh, that got in an accident. Some, some piece of debris came off the road, punctured its battery pack, and it was literally throwing flames out the bottom of the of the air uh, out of the car because um, that's how they designed it. So it throws it out the bottom instead of into the passenger cabin. That's right. Uh, so Teslas are designed to keep the cabin safe if the battery detonates or, or um, runs away. Um, our system has to do the same, and we're doing it in kind of a similar way that Tesla does it, uh, which is kind of cool, I guess. Uh, so it's the so we're going to test it for sure and confirm that our design works, but that's the intent is to make it so the airplane can tolerate a thermal runaway situation in the air and not hurt the pilot and still be flyable. Gotcha. Now, uh, how are you dealing with uh, with um, thermal issues? Because uh, one of the big issues on a on an electric car, especially something like a Tesla's got uh, high output on it, uh, you can find videos of people tearing down uh, Model S's and Model 3's and whatnot, and they have these bandolier systems where all the batteries are all kind of attached onto this bandolier where they're running coolant through that just to keep them cool enough because of uh, when they go into ludicrous mode, um, I guess when they're normally driving, it's not a huge issue, but when they're when they're doing high output, but like you will be when racing, you got to deal with a lot of power coming through there. And, uh, and my experience, yeah, and even when driving, dissipation. exactly. And in my experience driving a Tesla in the winter time was that they were, uh, almost useless for, for, um, uh, for charging because they needed to be at a certain temperature, but they were so effective at cooling that they, they didn't work out very well. So how are you dealing with cooling in the, in the air, which is obviously a, a weight issue? Well, we have, uh, there's a couple ways to do it. So, most, most of these electric components like somewhere under 50 degrees Celsius. And the problem with that is it's very hard to use a radiator because the coolant uh, return flow will be sitting somewhere around the 50 degrees Celsius uh, temperature. Uh, and the outside air temperature in some locations could be 40 degrees. So you're now trying to flow 50 degrees seawater or coolant or whatever through a radiator and then cool it against 40 degrees sea outside air and you're going to get almost no cooling. So that makes the radiator very large. We call that delta T. So the radiator gets massive and massive radiators also mean massive drag. So there doesn't really work for our situation. So we need to find some other way to cool it. And so we can use things like spray bars. We can spray water on it. We can use some sort of a coolant tank like the Unlimiteds do. We can, uh, we can just use the inertia, the thermal inertia of the airplane itself to provide coolant. Uh, so there's many different ways to do it. The best way is select components that don't make a lot of heat because then you, need, you have a far smaller cooling problem. Uh, so that's, that's kind of the idea is minimize the heat generated 
so that you can minimize the amount of heat you have to reject. Uh, the easiest way to reject heat in airplanes is you've got, especially in racing airplanes, you have 200 miles an hour of, of free stream velocity, right? So the outside air is doing 200 miles an hour. So if you have an open vent at the front of the airplane, you know, have 200 miles an hour of air flowing into that vent. So it's very easy to flow air through the cowling and exhaust it. So that's probably the best way to do it. The problem with flowing that air is it's cooling drag, so you want to minimize it. So that's kind of the design challenge is building a, uh, a system that needs minimum cooling. So now what's the, there's obviously going to be some trade-off here though, of course. Uh, if you pick a component that might be generating more heat, you might generate more power and, uh, and that might overcome that drag you might get from a radiator. How is that, is that factoring in at all for you? Yeah, it is. Uh, that's all I'm going to say. <laughs> <laughs> that's all you're going to say about that. <laughs> yeah, there's not a whole lot more uh, that, that we can say on, on, the, on the thermal subject right now because it's, that's one of the hardest challenges with that kind of thing. And so uh, if you have a good design, you want to keep it to yourself, especially in a racing situation. Yeah, especially when everyone else is right now looking at potentially doing this versus, uh, versus not actually doing it right now. So they might all get the same idea. And uh, for all this all this work and effort you've been putting in there, they're reaping all the benefits. That's right. And so we, um, we, we've been talking to some thermodynamicists that have been helping us out quite a bit. And honestly, they're probably the best thermodynamicists I can think of in North America, period. So we're, uh, we're learning a lot right now and we're innovating like crazy on the, on the cooling side of it, which is really cool. I guess literally. <laughs> so that's kind of the system. Why don't we talk a little bit about um, the electric, electric airplane market or uh, industry right now? Well, I want to talk first a little bit maybe about uh, the battery capacities you've got to be dealing with. Uh, obviously, you're you're talking about a race situation where you've got, you know, maybe 15 minutes of actual race because you're starting on the ground. It's not like you're air starting and you've got extra time. Yeah, good question. So how much what, how much battery capacity are you going to need? Are you, are you blowing it out of the water or are you only putting in just enough? Yeah, we're, we're going to have like five minutes of power. And so basically the idea is put the motor in, the inverter in the cooling system in. And then whatever space is left, fill it with batteries until we either run out of space, run out of center of gravity, or run out of gross weight. And when we hit one of those limits, that's where we're gonna stop battery-wise. And so all the batteries are in their own containers and enclosures and everything. So uh, it's not just the battery you have to put in, you also have to mount it and enclose it and put the bus bars in and the power transfer system in and all that kind of thing. So it's there's a lot more to it. So it adds quickly up in weight and, and space. Yeah, exactly. Volume. And suddenly if you're putting uh, putting batteries in the wings and the tail and the nose, suddenly you've got to get cooling between all of them, depending on how you're doing cooling. And Correct. suddenly it's got, uh, you got a very, very complex system, even though it sounds like it's a fairly simple setup. Exactly. And uh, we're not doing this airplane to be practical. We're expecting like five minutes wide open. So the airplane is going to be extremely impractical. We're taking a practical airplane and making it not, but we're also making it a lot of fun. I don't know. I don't know if I'd call a cassette a practical airplane, but <laughs> but it's right now I can fly that thing ninety minutes. Yeah. Without without landing, and that will not be the case on battery power. It will be very difficult to charge the batteries. Very dangerous to discharge the batteries, at least initially. So the airplane will not be. We're not doing it to be green or practical. We're doing it because it's a very fun design problem. And you learn you learn a lot uh, potentially too for the future of of them. For example, uh, Tesla when they started off building their cars, they were building them out of uh, Lotus Elise's 
as sports cars to try and try and gather uh, gather interest. Yeah, they had batteries stuffed in the doors for crying out loud. Exactly, and we're and pretty much doing the same thing. <laughs> exactly. So this is kind of the same approach. Instead of taking it slowly and and hoping to have a practical airplane, you've got a ridiculous fun airplane where you can test the limits before you before you might jump into something more practical. Exactly. So it's just for fun. We're developing this because it's a fun engineering challenge. We have lots of engineers on our race team already. And then uh, getting into this electric thing just opens up a whole new discipline to experiment with. And that's the name of the game with racing is experimenting. So how many people do you actually have on the, on the team now? Like 20. 20, wow. Something like that. Probably 20, um, probably eight core engineers working on it pretty hard. And then another probably 12, I guess, uh, auxiliary or support engineers or part-time people that also help on it. So it's a, it's a fairly large team, but it's a huge amount of work to finish it. Enormous. So they're, uh, they're working extremely hard right now. And we're working really hard here to get the airplane ready to go and get that new racer ready so that when we lose the red one to F1, we have the other one ready to go. Yeah. Now, what kind of time frame are you looking to actually have? Are you anticipating being able to fly the electric racer at kind of next year's Reno time frame, or is it uh, more like a two-year project, or what's so, what's your time? Like, um, so some projects, especially development projects, have a schedule. They have a schedule because you have to meet a certain target for some reason, date-wise. But development projects have lots of knowns. It's just work at the end of the day. Research projects are totally different. They've got unknowns. They're subject to failure. Uh, different components can fail. Uh, some things that we think will work don't work. You know, so it's a very difficult thing to say when it'll be ready because we don't know how it'll go. We could, we could find the propeller doesn't work. We could find the motor. We, we could find we blew a motor and we have to order a new one. So there's a lot of, uh, of questions right now affecting timeline. And we're doing things to minimize that right now and, and reduce that uh, and answering questions every day. But that's where we're at right now. So we, we, don't, we don't exactly know when it will be ready. Gotcha. We can guess. Yeah. <laughs> I can guess. I'm not going to. Yeah. <laughs> fair <laughs> enough. Fair enough. Yeah. So let's talk about uh, practical applications of electric airplanes. Obviously, we're seeing, I think it's Pipistrel has one now, uh, an electric airplane. So uh, to clarify, and I might get in some trouble for this, I don't think there's such thing as a practical electric airplane right now. Gotcha. It's too early. We, and we cannot carry enough battery to make it worthwhile. So that's the that's the big uh, the limiting factor right now. You figure is battery then, eh? Well, if if we take batteries that came out that were announced two months ago and run the math on it, we can only run five minutes on them. I don't know how any other airplane out there can run for hours. I don't see. It. I can't. I can't figure it out. Now I haven't gone through any other airplane in any detail uh, to see how they've done it, but I know from our experience, I can't see how we can make an electric airplane using the technology that we know about today. Gotcha. I can't see it. I know. I know some of the electric airplanes. Uh, well, for example, uh, the Cessna 172 will will give you a good five six hours worth of fuel, uh, no problem with reserve. Whereas a some of these electric airplanes are talking about practical applications. They have maybe an hour worth, which is enough for kind of a short training flight, but not. That's not a practical airplane. You can't go distance on that one. What you need to do as part of a training program, for example. Well, we make five minutes at say 150 kilowatts, right? That's over 200 horsepower. If we only run half of that, we make about, what, 100 horsepower or less, which is what an O200 normally runs wide open, which then means we have 10 minutes. And then if we run 
25% power, which is about 50 horsepower output, which is enough to stay in the air and cast it just slowly. Now we have 20 minutes. So now you can drag out the range. And if we slow it way down to the minimum power to stay straight and level at the slowest speed possible, we can then talk about a decent endurance. Gotcha. Reasonable endurance. Now, now a, ca a cast that's really designed for speed versus something like uh, something like a right. uh, uh, something with long. Um, so obviously, your cast it has very short, stubby wings on it, uh, uh, very low aspect wings. Whereas something like a Pipistrol's got much longer, higher aspect wings, much more efficient. So that's another way that they're, I guess, gathering some. Uh, some more efficiency out of there, just not through the engine, not through the electrics, but through the actual airframe itself. You know, it's funny. F1 racing airplanes have the lowest drag out of any uh, airplane in existence. Interesting. Even lower than Pipistrel. And part of that size. And even then, we can't make it work very well. Gotcha. Now, part of it's a space thing and the amount of batteries on board. Pipistrels, you can put a lot more capacity on so i haven't looked at those airplanes up close but i do know that we have extremely low drag in f1 airplanes uh so they require very little horsepower to stay in the air and even if you slow them down so it's a it's a very interesting problem so i've, I've never flown an electric airplane i've never uh tested one i've never even seen one run on the ground and i haven't looked at any other electric airplanes up close um but i am talking from our experience Gotcha. So then I know that there's uh, some talk and chatter about people uh, mentioning, oh, poss the possibility of electric uh, airliners in the future. And just looking at that, looking at the basic math of that, that doesn't even look remotely possible at this point. If you could make an, uh, right now airliners are decent on, on jet fuel, which is basically diesel. And if you can create a battery that holds as much power as one pound of diesel, in one pound battery, then you can make a electric airliner practical. Now, the batteries do not last forever. They don't last very long at all. And they wear out and they stop holding charge. And then they also have a whole bunch of other age-related problems depending on how much, how hard you're pushing them and temperatures and so on. Uh, so batteries also require replacing frequently. The batteries are not easy to build. You also have to mine lithium. How much lithium exists in the world? I don't know. Yeah, and, and you also got to think about the engines too. And a, a jet engine is, a large jet engine is actually pr fairly efficient. Um, and compared to an electric engine that might, uh, how, how, how efficient are electric engines, are, how efficient are electric engines at actually getting that power from those batteries and converting that into thrust? That's another big question. Yeah, they're, they're quite efficient, but the problem is it's storing the power is the problem. The, the efficiency is good because it's all electronic. Compared to an, in, an internal combustion engine, it makes way more heat than these electric motors do. And that's all waste energy. And it's all, also coming out the exhaust. Your exhaust temperature is 1,200 degrees Fahrenheit. That's a lot of air to heat and discharge of hot air, which is a big waste of energy. Whereas with the electric motors, you don't have that. You're only making a little bit. So from an efficiency perspective, it's there. From a holding power on board, it's not. So you mentioned uh, if you can get a, a pound of battery to match a pound of diesel fuel in terms of energy storage, how close are our current technology batteries to that? I have no idea. I think it's like a factor of 10 off though. Okay, so I've, uh, quite substantially off. Oh, way off. So with the same 
weight airplane, we're going from 90 minutes of flying to five minutes of flying. And if we run the same power, we might get 10 minutes. So that's a nine to one ratio. Yeah, that's that's pretty pretty of endurance. Pretty big same horse. Pretty power. big difference. Yeah. Now, how about certain things like uh, um, obviously Reno's got a lot of sunlight down there. How does how does that factor in if you were to, say put uh, solar cells on? How much power could you actually generate from the solar cells? Is it anywhere near enough to slowly make up at least part of that? Could you gain another minute or two of flight, or is it just a complete wash? I haven't actually looked at that, to be honest. Uh, it's a racing airplane, and we don't expect to um, charge the batteries using solar. We expect to charge it using a very large power cable. Uh, and I don't know where that's going to come from yet, which is a whole other problem. Uh, but right now, uh, I haven't. I don't know about solar cells. Uh, we're not doing that. We have no plans to put solar cells on the airplane. Uh, we have no plans to charge off solar. So it's it's very hard for me to to answer questions like that because we just haven't looked into it. I'm like I'm no expert with electric vehicles, not even close. I only know from our experience what we're learning. Yeah, yeah, and that's and that kind of it's kind of telling uh, when your engineers uh, that are actually working on the project who really know about this stuff aren't even really even considering it. At, at worst case, on those solar cells, you're going to get maybe maybe a, a small efficiency boost or something, but for the weight of those, you're unlikely to actually make a make a, a big big dent on that you're probably better off just throwing in a couple more batteries yeah you just don't have the area um right now with solar cells it's not even close and then flying at night or or in an overcast condition you it hurts so bad on the on the power available uh it's even hard to charge a cell phone off solar right now realistically uh we've tried that at oshkosh so it's a, it's a tough problem, um, but definitely I think while charging right now is the, is the right way to go in an electric vehicle. Has to be. Yeah, and, and you'll be able to charge off uh, 120A. Um, so how, how long do you figure it's going to take you to even charge, charge your batteries? Is it going to be, you know, you're able to uh, get up there for a race, burn the batteries out to effectively, you know, 10, 20% uh, remaining, and then be able to charge it up and go again that afternoon? Or is it more like once every day you'll be able to take a flight? Or is it like once every couple of days you'll be able to take a flight? How, how quickly can you actually get electrons into those cells? Well, think of it this way. Do, do you know the, the uh, power consumption of your condo in a month? You know no, what your power bill says? not myself, no. <laughs> All right, well, these airplanes we figure will fit somewhere between 20 and 40 kilowatt hours of power on board, which is a lot. And if you, if you convert, if you divide that by, uh, if you convert that back to Watts and then divide by voltage to get amps, it's a very high current at 120, very high. So we need very large power equipment. And so the charge time will very much depend on what current we can pull off the, the power available. Obviously, the higher the voltage, the lower the current. Uh, but most commercial buildings don't have high voltage power. Yeah, most and most will have two-phase, 240 or, or whatnot. Um, for example, if you want to install a Tesla uh, charger at home, you'll put in a, a 240-volt charger in the wall instead of the 120. Right. And the 120 will take you a day, day and a half to charge, and that's just a Tesla, uh, versus um, uh, the 240 will only take you like... Half that, probably. Less than half that. I think it's like eight hours or something, which is entirely doable. You plug it in at night. So uh, if you got 240, obviously you're going to be be better off there. Uh, is there any plans for, uh, for Reno to actually upgrade their power uh, inside the... Formula One hangers? We um, we have not been asked to race at Reno, or my team hasn't. I don't know if anybody else has, uh, on electric. Reno has not brought it up to me. 
or mentioned anything about it to me. So right now we have no plans to race at Reno and I don't know if Reno has any plans to uh, create infrastructure for electric airplanes. So I think the intent is is to race other places around the world, more exotic places farther away than North America, uh, places that uh, will really welcome the whole electric uh, airplane idea. Places like Europe and... and uh, That's right. Because I, I know... Uh, I know Jeff's been out there promoting electric airplanes over in where was he just re- was it Germany or France? So yeah, he's been uh, he's been going all over. I know Airbus is a presenting sponsor of AirAC. Uh, they're really into that kind of thing, so it'll be kind of wherever they they want us. And obviously, time and money is a limiting factor, so uh, it'll it'll really play into where we go and where we race. Yeah. All right. So I think uh, that uh, clears the air a little bit on electric racing and some of the. Uh, issues and, and whatnot that you have to deal with. Anything else you might want to add? No, not not right now. I don't think. I think that's pretty good. Uh, I, I find in the electric vehicle industry, uh, especially airplane industry, there's a lot of talk and no walk. So one thing very important to us is we very much uh, do what we commit to and say and promise. And so there is no promises right now with performance or safety or anything. And so all that could still fail. That's why it's a research project and everybody's having a ton of fun working on it. Uh, but right now, yeah, we don't know what's going to happen. We're not going to promise anything. We're not going to promise timelines. We're not going to promise performance or safety. We're going to experiment. And, and when we prove things through flight tests, then we'll announce it. Fair enough. Cool. This episode is brought to you by airracegear.com. Actually, a uh, funny story. We have uh, T-shirts and merchandise for sale for the exact uh, electric conversion project we're talking about. Airracegear.com.